What's going on, everyone? Welcome to the Elevating Your Potential podcast, where we enlighten middle school and high school student-athletes about the reality the realities of college sports. Um, this one's special. Our first two-time guest is on the podcast today. Um, if you don't know, the first episode we ever did was with my brother Tony. This time, the tables have turned. Now, he is the one we're going to um, be interviewing today. Um, and today is a, is a unique episode because you really don't hear about this topic a lot unless um, either you study university, universities like Tony and I do, or like you get in trouble once you get on campus. But hopefully we can use this um, resource and this can be a resource that's to our benefit when we're going to campus. Today we're gonna to be talking about student conduct, student conduct. So brother Tony, how you doing today? I'm doing good, doing good, um, Jeremiah, thanks for having me. Oh, for sure. I wouldn't have it any other way. Um, so just for those who might not have seen the first episode, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you're currently doing now? Yes, yes. Uh, so my name is Tony Miller Jr. Um, I'm a proud native of Augusta, Georgia. I'm blessed to have uh, my brilliant and beautiful wife, Eleni, and we have our first son, Tony Miller III. Um, I've been working full-time in higher education since 2004, 2015, where I started at SMU in Dallas, and I transitioned to my current institution in May of 2018, which is the University of Montevallo, where I serve as the Director of Student Conduct and Title IX Coordinator. Perfect. So you said a lot. So you said Title IX, uh, Title IX Coordinator and you over Student Conduct. What do you actually do in that role? So obviously it's a, it's a lot of, I wear a lot of hats because it's a smaller institution. And so the first part, the director of student conduct, um, long story short, um, essentially, you know, when students in college get in trouble or allegedly violate policies, I have conversations with them and, and hold them accountable um, to those policy violations. And then in my Title IX coordinator hat, when there is any form of sexual misconduct or any type of gender-based discrimination, mm -hmm. um, I'm the one that facilitates that investigation, provides resources, and looks into resolving that issue for, for that student or em employee. Um, and also with that, I'm on a, a plethora of different teams as far as the care team, the threat assessment team, and other committees um, to ensure just the safety of, of the campus and you know, playing a role in, in the community as an administrator. Okay, so as you're talking, I can just see probably some of our students and parents like, okay, whoa, I thought when I went to college that I'm just living in a um, dorm room or a commons, there's no policies, I just go to class and then do my little social thing and that's it. So there's policies in, at, at a university or in a college, why is that and why do, why do universities have these like things in place? Well, um, yes, they have them. And so for students, it's essentially called the Student Code of Conduct or the Code of Conduct for students, just depending on what university you go to. And we have those in place. Our universities have those in place so the students understand the, the criteria and the expectations um, that the university has for them as a member of the community. And so it's just there um, as an accountability measure, just as employees have you know rules and regulations in the employee handbook um, at different jobs. The university is no different. Just like K through 12, there are certain rules and policies that are in place that you know students are supposed to follow. And if they don't follow those um, rules, they will be held accountable. And so I just do that on the higher education level. Got you. And so, what are some like rules that are common across 
like all like most universities and colleges that our students can be looking at and saying, okay, I know that I need to be expecting this, like that student code of conduct that you were referring to. Yeah. So um, typically, you know, you're going to have, you know, the alcohol policy, the drug policy, you're going to have the harassment policy, the discrimination policies, you know, the, the physical, you know, violence, assault, um, disruptive activity, um, fire safety, you know, com- computer type, you know, py- no piracy, those type things. And so depending on the university that you go to, it's going to essentially say the same. It just may be worded a little bit differently. Obviously at a college or university, um, academic honesty is going to be a part of there. Um, so, you know, whether it's plagiarism, cheating, um, academic um, sabotage or facilitating academic dishonesty, those things are going to be, you know, in, in involved or included in that, you know, student code of conduct. And when you think about the most common policy violations at a university, it's underage drinking or alcohol use, I mean, in drug or drug use. Um, typically marijuana, and it just depends on the nature and the culture of that campus, the student demographic, because while I was at um, SMU, um, fake IDs was a big, you know, a big policy violation, which would be a strong number three to alcohol and drugs. But in my current institution, you know, I've had no, you know, fake ID cases um, in my two and a half years there. So it all just varies on the makeup of the student um, population. Perfect. And so with that being said, from the outside looking in, we could you could be looked at as some somewhat of a police force on campus, like for our students to trying to like think about what you actually do. Um, but I know that your motto is relationship before regulation. What does that mean to you, and how does that impact how you do your job? Got you, got you. Great question. And so before I get into that. I want to also give you just like my mission because I think it introduces and helps, um, you know, start that conversation. And so my mission is really to assist students in bringing their actions into congruence with their values, because we know that parents, they raise, they raise their students and they send them off and say, Hey, you know, go get a degree, you know, and don't embarrass me. And a lot of times students have these great values. um, But when they get to college and it's their first time away from home, whether it's 30 minutes or, three hours, they, you know, kind of forget those values that were instilled. And so it's my job to have those conversations with them. Um, Now, to answer your question as pertains to my motto, um, student conduct offices, you know, everywhere often get a bad rap or have a a negative connotation. Um, And so for me, you know, I see us as, you know, resources um, that teach accountability. Um, and that's something that my former supervisor at SMU, she said, that's how she phrased what we do in a sentence. We teach accountability. And so relationship before regulation, it simply means that it's important for me to establish um, some form of a relationship um, before we get into the measures of accountability, before we start that conversation, um, because we're all human. Um, and I think it's important for students to know that I care about them as a human and I don't just see them as someone who allegedly, you know, broke the rules. Um, and and a, education before adjudication, um, you know, it means to provide a learning experience for the student um, before I fulfill my duty in holding them accountable. Um, my job is to help students learn from and reflect 
on their mistakes so they don't make those same mistakes again when they if they find themselves in those same situations. Um, and so this motto or, or mantra, I mean, impacts how I interact with students around campus, but mostly I'm in hearings um, with how I start my hearings um, with the students, which is where and how I get to know the students or build rapport with the students. And so whether it's I ask, you know, where are they from? You know, what's their classification? You know, what's their hometown, their major? Why did they choose um, to attend our university? You know, et cetera. You know, and I also try to establish and find common ground in real life arenas, whether it's family, sports, you know, movies, pop culture, um, anything that we can connect on. And so that's really how it helps me and impacts the day-to-day job that I do with these students to one show them that I'm human and I'm not a robot that I have feelings I laugh you know I cry um, just like them and to kind of ease some of the nerves that they may have given you know for a lot of students it's their first time getting into trouble or first time getting caught getting into trouble um, at this magnitude at, at the university. Yeah I kind of I like where you're going so let's stay on the same thought process so let's say that someone does get in trouble and you do get um, it comes across your desk that you need to speak with this person or have a hearing with this person. What does that process look like kind of from when you reach out all the way like through the actual hearing and when they come and talk to you? Um, yes. So essentially what happens, as you said, I get the report, um, then I create the incident in our database, and then I'll send an email to Jeremiah saying, you know, hey, my office received a report about this incident that allegedly um, you violated some policy. So I want to set up a time for us to meet and be able to discuss um, what happened. Um, so there is a date, you know, and a time. And, and given we're in the pandemic, everything has been via Zoom um, versus coming to my office in person. So whenever that date is, we meet or in COVID land, we, we cut our computers on and get on Zoom. Um, the report is built. I might ask questions, but I first ask them to give me their perspective of the incident because sometimes the incident, whether it's a police report or an RA incident report or report from, you know, faculty staff, you know, it may have some things that may have been left out that may or may not be in the incident report um, before or after they arrived. And so I'm gonna need that student's perspective of the incident to help me understand what really happened and to help me put the pieces of the puzzle together so I can make the right decision and the best decision. And so after we've met um, and we've had that conversation, I determine whether they're responsible or not for the policy violation. And in that meeting, typically, you know, they find out what their, what their, I guess, their measures of accountability will be. Um, if they disagree with my decision, whether it's the finding of responsibility, because a lot of times students accept responsibility, so that makes it easy, um, easier for that part of the conversation. But if they disagree with my finding or any sanctions that I assign, they then have five days to appeal my decision um, to my supervisor, who's the vice president for enrollment and student affairs. And after they've appealed to her and her decision comes out, it is final. And then that is the end of that process. Okay, perfect. That's a great explanation. Um, so I can imagine that you've met with thousands of students over the last few years. Um, I'm sure you've come across some who might not have been as honest as you, as you would have liked. So how do you handle it? Well, first of all, let's talk to our students about why it's important to be transparent, maybe not only with you, but in every kind of aspect and facet of life. Um, yes, well, 
it's simple, not it's not too deep. We've all heard it. Honesty is the best policy, and, and you know me, Jay. Um, integrity is a big thing for me. And so when it comes to honesty and transparency, what I do, I, I tell my students, hey, I'm gonna be honest, I'm gonna be transparent. I'm going to keep it a hundred with you. And I expect you to keep it a hundred with me. And I tell them, I say, you, you know, you may come in here and, and tell me, you know, something, but if it's, if it's untrue or you're being dishonest and I find out that you're being dishonest with me, or I already know that you're being dishonest, then you're going to make your situation more difficult on yourself. And so it's just easier to go ahead and accept responsibility, um, you know, be accountable for your actions, because that's a lesson in life as an adult, whether you're, you know, 17, 18 year old college first year student or a 33 year old employee or manager or supervisor. And so um, that's really why, you know, it's important um, to, you know, to be honest and transparent, you know, whether it's student conduct or just, you know, talking to your friends, um, or, you know, on a job or whatever it is, whatever conversations that you, that you have. So you can build that trust and, you know, continue to keep that, um, that integrity level high. Perfect. I love that for sure. Um, and so we've heard the term accountability a lot. Um, while you're here on campus, um, and you worked in student conduct community standards here as well, um, you created a framework or kind of like a, a measure to kind of help with that accountability and help students like mature and grow. Can you tell us a little bit about what that was, like what did you actually um, help create and how that actually impacts a student's um, accountability moving forward, not only while they're on campus, but also in the in the real world? Yes, absolutely. Um, and so um, what I did, um, Jay, I, I was given the opportunity to um, create a new sanctioning model in which we called and coined um, the pathway plan sanctioning model. And so it's different, it's unique in the way that we sanction students because it allows the student to select their educational sanctions and, and select how they want to be held accountable. So instead of the typical um, student conduct process to where I meet with the student and I find out what happens, find them responsible, and I say, you need to do this, this, that, and, um, and the other, and have it done by this date, the conversation shifts and they're actually given a booklet um, which allows them to select which pathway they like to take, whether it's the understanding pathway, perspective pathway, well-being pathway, um, or restorative um, pathway. And once they pick that pathway, they then open up to that particular section and select their pathway projects or educational sanction that they want to use um, to learn and reflect on this incident. And the reason um, we went in that direction is a, was a couple of reasons. One that I mentioned earlier, because of the negative connotation that students have of student conduct offices anywhere um, in the country, but because you know, we also got, or we get the rap of, you know, a one size fits all model. And so, you know, Jeremiah may be found responsible for this. And instead of, you know, me tailoring that to Jeremiah, I'm going to give Jeremiah the same thing that I gave, you know, Michael, Ashley, Jessica, John, you know, and Andrew. And, and I understand when students say, well, you know, you're, it doesn't matter what I say, you're going to find me responsible. You're going to give me what you give me. So what's the point? You could have just sent an email. And so that was one thing um, that made us go into that different direction. But another thing is we understand that people, they learn differently. Um, and so in order for us to be, you know, fair and honest to actually wanting to help Jeremiah learn from this experience, 
we have to make sure that he's doing something that is going to help him. I mean, I say to students all the time that I'm not arrogant enough to think that I know what's best for you after a 30 to 45 minute conversation of what happened, um, regardless of the context that you share with me. And, and another thing that it, that it does, and I guess the last thing that I'll share with you about this is that it raises the level of accountability for that student. Because if Jeremiah has a past, you know, a past due pathway project and he gets a hold on his account or he gets an email or a phone call saying, hey, you need to do this, then I can actually say, hey, I didn't tell you to do this. You selected this. You chose to do this and you haven't fulfilled it. And so, you know, in, it's in your best interest, especially if you want to get the hold off your account so you can register for this class or request your transcript to go to graduate school or to transfer universities. You need to get this done. And it also helps with parents for those that may call and follow up um, with students as well. And, 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 the, and the story is the same. Your student chose to do this and they have not fulfill that requirement and so therefore you know it just raises that level of, of accountability and so it's been really good because it's a collaborative effort to where we're working together and it's not just me telling you what you need to do um and so it's it's it worked at smu and it's currently working um at my at my institution um at the university of montevallo and i think that's so powerful because you're really hitting on like the education you're not only just saying we want to educate we want to educate you're actually actively thinking about this person let allowing them to choose which way they want to learn like we can say whatever we want to there's a lot of thoughts about the uh, the prison system but like you are actively helping to move towards education and making sure that there's a difference in this person after they leave talking to you, which I think is so great, for sure. Um, and so we've talked a lot about the student um, throughout this process. What role does like a parent have in this? Is there any role at all? Or are you primarily just talking to the students? I'm asking you this question because there might be parents out there that might want to intervene when their student gets in trouble. So what kind of communication do you have from the parental side? Um, the communication with the parent is is very rare, um, and and oftentimes, um, at least when it comes to the to phone communication and email co communication, it comes from the parent when they're worried about um, their student because they may have received a letter from my office. And so, um, the communication that I give to the students is given FERPA, um, the FERPA rule. We're able to send letters um, to parents to notify them of of violations that involve or you know alcohol or substance abuse and so really a parent's role in the student conduct process is to be a partner to help the university you know steer their student back in the direction in which they want their student to go to i'm gonna go through and it's so it's not a matter of hey parent you need to do this it's a matter of hey parent will you work with us to make sure that your student you know does what they need to do and get to where you want them to get and also get to where the university wants them to get, which is across the stage with that um, college degree yep. in hand. And so a lot of parents, you know, they're concerned or a student doesn't communicate with them that a letter is coming home in those instances may call because they're worried. Um, they may call because they want to know how it may impact their student's future as it pertains to graduate school or professional school or getting a job in the future. But for, you know, for you know nine times out of ten it's usually just me communicating with the student and the student it's the student's responsibility to communicate with their parents and that's also you know a, a, a 
a level of accountability for that student to communicate and articulate to their parents that, hey, I broke the rules while I was at school and, you know, here's what happened. And, you know, because a lot of times students don't like to upset their or disappoint their parents. And so when they find themselves meeting with me, you know, sometimes the most effective, um, I guess even the scariest um, sanction, educational sanction or pathway project is me letting them know, hey, you have to let your parents know about this or asking them, have they talked to their parents about this um, to, and to learn how that conversation went. And if they're worried about it, you know, kind of put on my parent hat and kind of act a little bit and say, hey, let's have that conversation so I can help you find the words on how to break the news to your parents so you can move forward um, from, from this experience. Yeah, that's really good. That's really good, T. Um, appreciate you with that, um, for giving us that insight. Um, so you've been, we've talked about how much you've worked with students and I'm sure that over your four or five years that you have some stories of some things and experiences that have happened on a college campus. And so is there any insight, we don't want to get you in trouble now, but from a broad sense, is there, are there any stories you can give to like some of the things that have happened before? Uh, and I wanted to talk about this now because we know, I don't want to scare any parents or students that this is what happens all the time, but you're in place now. We know that you're there to catch these things if it does happen, but from from a different different side, what has actually happened on the campus that you've experienced over here? Yeah, so, so a lot, like I said earlier, a lot of underage, you know, students coming and getting caught. And it's a matter of what I tell students, you know, you're not the only student who's violating policy. You're not the only student drinking underage. You're not the only student on campus, you know, smoking marijuana. You just happen to get caught. Um, you did something to bring attention to yourself. Um, and, and here we are having the conversation. But to get a little bit more specific, you know, I've seen, you know, a lot, as you said, I've had over a thousand cases. Um, and so, you know, there was a student um, who was actually, I believe, a 22-year-old senior whose fake ID was found from their freshman year. And it was turned in during their senior year. And although they weren't using it, granted, they forgot about it. I think ultimately they thought they lost it. Um, or at least it was gone, but because fake IDs to the naked eye looks like a real driver's license, it was turned into the police department and the police, they do what they do and they found out that it was fake and I had to have a conversation with that student. And we had a good conversation about how our decisions today impact our tomorrow. So the 17 year old, 18 year old, you know, first year student may have thought, hey, nothing's gonna happen, I'm good to go. However, fast forward four years, five years, and that decision from his freshman year impacted him his senior year when he thought that was behind him. And honestly, he gotten away with it for however long he used it. And so that's one of the examples. I've had a student who I've met with who got, you know, who had a little bit too much alcohol, um, whose BAC level was really high. We had a very good conversation. And, you know, less, and, and less than seven days later, um, they wound back up in my office and their BAC level was even higher, you know? And so they had two trips to the hospital in, you know, in a matter of days and, you know, having a conversation about being responsible, being safe, you know, understanding what your well-being, um, how important that is, you know, that those are some of the conversations that I have. I've had in instances where, you know, crystal meth was found in a room, but nobody, you know, claimed it. And so because nobody claims it, yep, there were multiple people in the room, but the owners of the room, they are 
responsible for what is in their rooms and the behaviors of the people that come in their room. So those students had to be held accountable um, for that. And they didn't like it. Um, but it's again, it's a lesson of accountability with your friends. It's a lesson of integrity. So if it was, you know, Jeremiah's, you know, drug and he went through this whole process and he let his five or six other friends go down with him, then that says a lot about Jeremiah and probably who he's going to be in life as a professional and as a person, unless something changes or unless he has a, has a change of heart. Um, and so that's something. And there's one thing far as the experiences, because I have plenty, but this last one um, I think is a little funny because those others weren't really necessarily funny, but this one um, is a little humorous. Um, and I, and I find this be, to be the case where um, students, they, they, they talk too much. Um, and so, and I, and I say that because I've had instances where there's friends in an, in a, in an incident that speak with me and I may find Jeremiah not responsible, but the other friends are responsible. And so I've had a student say, you know, well, you know, if you find me responsible, like I don't want, I'm not responsible. I don't want my friends to think that I'm a snitch. And I say, well, unless you tell them, you were found not responsible, they won't know. And so what you realize is that a lot of students, when they leave these meetings, they tell their friends, hey, this is what I got, what did you get? And so they share those. And so what I did to do, to do a favor for this student who happened to be a frequent flyer of mine, um, I said, hey, this is what you typically would have got. And so if it does come up and you guys are kind of like, hey, what happened to you? Um, this is what you say, you know, and I, and I gave him the conduct status he, that would be, you know, appropriate um, for him. I gave him the number of pathway projects that would be appropriate, the final amount and things of that nature. So he could play, um, so he, he could play along um, and kind of protect him in his friend group because peer pressure, um, it's, it's a real thing um, and, and it's difficult for students. And, and I try to have that conversation with them and, and instill in them you know, and empower them to be the example that their peers need to see opposed to the example that their peers want to see because they have a lot of examples of what they want to see, which aren't necessarily good examples. And it is difficult to stand up to your friends in those moments and, you know, try not to be the snitch or not be a party pooper. Um, and I say, hey, you know, if you've gotten caught, you know, use this as a reason to say, hey, I can't do this this time because if I get in trouble again, you know, this is going to happen, you know, I'll be suspended or I'll be, you know, put on probation, you know, so those are the type of conversations that I have with students to help them think about, you know, how they honestly can get themselves out of, you know, compromising situations with their friends. And, um, and I guess this is another, I guess, a fun one for you is I've had to meet with a student who um, was caught peeing outside um, of, you know, a fraternity house in, in the bushes, you know, and so, those are some of the things, you know, that I, you know, that I've seen and that I, that I deal with um, on, on a day-to-day -day basis. Got you. And that, that gem about peer pressure, that was, that was a big one that needed to be said as well. So our students um, can understand that they can still be a part of a friend group, but they can be the leader of that friend group and help them um, later in life, as you discussed. So that's really good. Um, so this is more of a, your perspective type of question and how, what you see and how you feel. Would you say that a college campus is safe for students? And so you're the student conduct uh, professional, and you said you've seen thousands of students. And so that means that there's at least, there's been a lot of instances where people have had to come to you. 
So from a parent, can you help me, if I'm a parent, can you help ease my mind and say, if you think that a college campus is safe for students to come onto? Oh, yes, um, I, 100%. Like, I'll definitively say, you know, yes. Um, I believe college campuses um, are some of the safest places um, in their respective cities or communities. Um, obviously, um, bad things happen um, on college campuses, but they are very safe. And I say the vast majority of college students would agree in saying that they feel safe on their college campus or that their college campus is safe because a lot of college campuses, if they don't have an actual university police department on campus, there is some form of campus safety there. Um, there my offices are there, there's Dean of Students um, offices. So there's a lot of resources that students, that students have. Um, but I would definitely say that, you know, college campuses are very, very safe, um, especially, um, especially for those that, that live on campus because everything that you need is there. And as I said, you know, the police department, nine times out of 10, that for those universities that are large enough or have the resources, they have, you know, police officers, real police officers there. And the police departments, they have services to where if there needs to be escorts, that, you know, just call them and they will escort you, you know, to your residence hall or to your classroom if it's, you know, if it's, if it's dark, you know, for the young ladies that may be um, a little timid with when, when, the, when, the, when the sun goes down and, and the lighting on the campus may not be the best, they have those resources and services um, for those students. Yeah, amazing, I love it. Um, you mentioned something earlier I want to circle back to. You talked, to, uh, you said it briefly, but you said academic dis dishonesty. And so can you tell us what that is and why colleges and universities are so tough on maintaining um, academic standards and academic integrity? Um, absolutely. Um, so at the end of the day, um, students, people go to college to get a degree. They want to get those credentials, get that piece of paper to show that I have this bachelor's degree, I have this master's degree, I have this professional certificate, what have you. And so for universities, their reputation of their degree is important. And so for students, you know, who come to a university and may not know too much about academic dishonesty outside of cheating or plagiarism, there's a lot to learn. Um, as I mentioned, you know, academic sabotage or facilitating academic dishonesty, things of that nature. And so this, the universities want, they want to uphold the value of that degree. Because if word gets out that you can go to, you know, university of, you know, the world and you just get to cheat and they don't care, then that word's going to get out and the value of that degree is going to be dis diminished. And so that business degree that you got, that accounting degree that you got, that music, art, English, whatever degree you choose to get, um, it's not going to mean anything. And so instead of you getting that job um, from the university of the world, um, they're going to give that job to another student or another you know, candidate from the world university where they know that that value of that degree is high and it means something and you weren't able to just cheat your way through mm -hmm. or take some shortcuts to get that you got the, the strenuous um, academic rigor and you earned that degree because um, a, a large percentage of the United States you know, population don't have a bachelor's degree. And so you become a part of a, of a special group of people when you are able to possess um, a bachelor's degree because going to college is not 
um, it's it's really it's not a right. Um, it's a privilege. Um, and, and we can dive into that another day. But there are some people who want to go to college, but for whatever reason, they can't. Um, and, and if you think about COVID and how that has impacted, you know, students and families across the country, they were planning to go to college, but COVID hit. And so financially, they weren't able to do it. And so for a myriad of, of reasons, students aren't able to pursue those college dreams. And, and so for those that are fortunate enough to make it into a college campus and you know, you have to understand, you know, the, the, the privilege that that is because everybody that applies to college is not even accepted. So it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a great accomplishment just to get accepted and to be able to walk across that stage with your head held high um, with a degree that means something, um, that, makes it even, that it makes it even more special. Yeah, I think that was a great breakdown. Can you like hit on some of the like one-offs real quick? Like what all is encompassed when you hear the word academic integrity? So you said cheating, what are, what are, what are some other things that go along with that? I'm so cheating, um, plagiarism, like I said, facilitating academic dishonesty and essentially what facilitating academic dishonesty is, is you knowingly um, allowing someone to cheat or you opening the door for someone to cheat, hence facilitating um, academic dishonesty. And then you have one that is, uh, it's rare, um, but it is a form of um, academic dishonesty or a lack of academic integrity, which is academic sabotage. And that is ultimately when you go out of your way to sabotage someone else's academic pursuits. And so um, the example that I always give is to let's say, Jeremiah, you and I are in an English class together and we have to write a book report. And your book report is the assignment for you is to kill a mockingbird. Um, and mine is a secret life of bees. Well, you and I don't get along. And so what I go do, I go to the library and I rent out to kill a mockingbird. And now Jeremiah, he can't, you know, read to kill a mockingbird to fulfill his assignment. And so therefore he has to either go to the professor um, and, and communicate why he was unable to do his, you know, report, or he has to buy um, to kill a mockingbird instead of renting the library. And so, you know, it's those different things you're going out of your way, you know, or if, if I somehow get access to your computer or something and I delete, you know, your final project, those are things that are, are categorized as academic sabotage, me going out of my way to sabotage your academic success. Perfect. That's okay. Good. And I'll say this too. Um, and I'll add this too about academic dishonesty, um, Jeremiah. Um, another thing that it's, it's a part of academic dishonesty, but it's a lot of, it's sometimes people are like, what? That's a thing. Um, and so we're familiar with plagiarism, but there is a thing called self plagiarism um, to where mm -hmm. you can plagiarize yourself. And people are like, no, I can't because I wrote it. So I can't copy off myself. But when you go to college, you are now seen as a scholar. Um, and so an example of self-plagiarism is, you know, let's say you took an intro psychology class and you had to write a paper. Um, and then the next semester, you took a child psychology class and you saw that the topics were similar. So you took of your five page paper in the fall semester, you took four of those five pages um, and you just copied and pasted. That is that is self-plagiarism because you didn't do that work. You didn't put the effort in to write that paper. So yes, you didn't copy it from a friend or you didn't copy it 
from some other online source or from someone else that you found online, but you copied yourself. And so you didn't do the original work. And that's at the heart of what plagiarism is, you taking credit for work that you did not do. Um, and in self-plagiarism's case, whether it's work you didn't do, you know, that semester or work you didn't do, you know, two months ago. And so that's something that is really tricky um, and really eye-opening. Um, for, for college students when they arrive on, 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 on campus. Yeah, I think that's super insightful. And thank you for breaking that down for us as well. Um, before we end our interview today, I kind of want to talk about your Title IX, your position as Title IX coordinator and what that really looked like. Um, because unfortunately, um, really on campuses or in the world that there are harassment, there's different things that compromise and uh, people um, discriminate in various ways. So how do you as a Title IX coordinator go about ensuring the health and well-being of those who might be in a um, compromised position or might not be able to stick up for themselves in every situation and instance? Got you. Um, great question. And and right now, um, Title IX um, is a big thing in, in our in our country. And, and, and essentially what I do um, as as Title IX coordinator, um, I'm responsible for making sure that nobody is um, discriminated against on the base of their sex or their gender. Um, and, and, and something that is not widely understood about Title IX is that Title IX covers more than sexual misconduct. Um, and it also covers more than athletics in which what we used to hear all the time about you know equity in athletics and do we have enough women's sports teams compared to men's sports teams. But Title IX covers employment as it pertains to unequal pay, um, admissions, financial aid, um, athletics, as I said, you know, acts of, of sexual um, misconduct, which is more prevalent, especially given that the new regulations um, came out um, earlier this year in May. And so I make sure that the university is in compliance um, with the law. Um, and I also train all of our Title IX personnel on what their roles are. And so in the event we actually have um, a case of um, alleged discrimination, we know what we're supposed to do and we're able to do it um, you know, in a timely, thorough, um, fair, fair fashion. Um, and, and I investigate um, those incidents of sexual misconduct or you know, unequal pay or any type of you know, discrimination. And I provide education and awareness about Title IX and what it is. And, um, and so, like you said, um, when, when something happens, they come to me. Um, it's reported. My office, you know, we then, you know, start the process and have a conversation to find out what happened. And we then ask how they want to see the incident resolved, you know. And so um, a lot of times people may ask, well, you know, I never get in trouble um, and my child won't get in trouble. You'll never have to worry about seeing my child. Now, funny thing, a funny story about that is I had a parent tell me that one day um, at, at orientation and lo and behold, about a month into the semester, um, I did see their child in my oh. office violating policy. Um, but it's important that those students, whether you get in trouble or not, know about the people in the Office of Student Conduct because we are resources. We're not just a repercussive office. Um, as you said earlier, um, we are responsible for um, you know, in collaboration and partnership with the police department, of course, but we're responsible for the health and safety and well-being of the students in the campus community as well. And so in the event you're in danger or you are, you know, you've been harassed or you know a friend or somebody that is in trouble, 
you you know where to find my office. You know where to find the person, office student conduct, so we can connect you with the resources or help you resolve that incident and let you know what options you have and what steps you can take to make sure that you feel safe um, on campus, whether it's placing a no contact order in place or whether it's changing a class schedule or rearranging, um, you know, where it is that you live on campus. Um, so we're moving you from one residence hall to another residence hall um, or moving an individual outside of a particular class um, so you feel safe. So there's a lot of things that um, are not a matter of, you know, me holding you accountable for breaking the rules, but me actually making sure that you're safe and the campus is safe, um, that students and, and even faculty and staff um, don't understand goes into the role of being a student conduct professional. Yeah, I think that what you're saying is very important so that our students um, and our parents have can sleep peacefully at night knowing that there are resources available for um, their student if any of these things were to arise. We hope they don't um, arise, but in the case that they do, they can come see you and they have a um, really an ally to help them get through that process. Um, so Tia, I, I definitely appreciate you coming in and giving um, insight. Are there, I do want to ask you, finishing up, are there, is there anything that you would want to tell our students or student athletes um, about college or about what you do to kind of help them be better prepared when they make that next step? It can be anything, it can be within your job or just in general in life. Um, do you have any insight or wisdom for them? Um, this is what I would say, um, and it's applicable to student athletes, but it's also applicable to non-student athletes. Um, but as a student athlete, you are automatically a leader. You're a leader on campus. And I don't care if you're an 18 year old first year student, which that's typically how you come to college um, or even transferring in um, from a JUCO. Um, but people are looking up to you um, because you have the university logo on your back. You have the jersey on. And so never underestimate the level of influence and impact that you have. Even if you are a first year student and you're coming in on a new team and you're not even supposed to be, you know, the guy or the girl to change the organization or change the team around, but the way you carry yourself, you know, it has an impact, you know, and so people are always watching. And so the fact that you said, no, nah, I don't want to go hang out at this club or no, I'm not going to drink. You know, you saying no may give someone else the moral courage, um, whether it's a fellow, you know, first year student or if you're a junior or a senior and, and other upperclassmen are, you know, or freshmen are looking you know, up to you. They see how you handle that. Then they're going to be empowered to say no when they're not when they're in a similar situation versus, you know, if you are in that leadership role and you choose to break the rules or to do this and get away with it, they're going to say, hey, well, the team captain did it. Or, hey, you know, the football team did it, the basketball team did it, the equestrian team did it, the swimmers did it. And so you don't want to give anybody an excuse. So if you set the example, and it goes back to what I said earlier, being the example that your peers need to see um, and not just being what they want to see, because they have plenty of those examples. And so it will be tough um, as an 18, 19, 20, 21, 22 year old um, to do the right thing. But I want you just to think about the the past consequences versus the possible consequences. And, mm -hmm. and a lot of times in life, um, when we make decisions, um, because that that's a lot of what my conversations are like with, with students, 
um, student athletes or not. Um, we make our decisions based on the past consequences or the lack thereof instead of the, the possible consequences. And so even if there is a 97% chance that I won't get caught, um, we don't think about that 3%. Like what happens if that 3% chance, you know, if it happens, you know, whether it's underage drinking, yep. 97% chance nothing's going to happen. You've done it a hundred times before. What's going to make 101 any different? But you never know. You may have a, um, a drink that is, you know, that doesn't work well with your system. You may pass out, um, end up in, in the hospital with, with an IV in your arm, alcohol poisoning. And those are things that we don't think about. Those are things that we don't plan on happening. Um, but that's that one to two to three percent of things and possibilities that can happen and i really feel that if we took an extra two to three seconds to think about the possible consequences of what could happen whether it's waking up in the hospital or waking up in the jail cell um you know or finding out you got to have a meeting with me or the person in, in your office of student conduct that may be enough to deter you and your friends from having one of those, you know, negative um, experiences that you'll need to, to learn from. Yeah, man, that's really good. I think um, if we did think about that 3% more, I think a lot of our decisions would be a lot different. Um, thank you so much, T. I appreciate it. Um, man, you impacting the world. Keep pushing, keep moving forward. Also, shameless plug, if you have any resume, career development, interview prep needs, Tony's your guy. We talked about this in the first episode, so make sure that you talk to Tony. All right, everyone. T, you have a good rest of your day. Everyone listening, y'all have a great day as well. Peace. Thanks, Jay. Enjoyed it, man. Y'all have a good one. Mm -hmm.